Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. My name is Frank Gill. I'm a campus pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am your host for this show. I'm here with the guy who was the best man at my wedding. He's the lead pastor of a church in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Peace be with you. Down in the hot and humid Sumter, South Carolina, I am here with a very creative campus pastor, Delmar Pete. And also with you. This senior pastor is one half of the highly acclaimed and almost award-winning podcast, The Morning After Ministry Show, all the way from sunny Safety Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutation, one and all. And lastly, he is the lead pastor of a church in Perpins Springs, Florida. He is a Jacksonville Jaguars fan for some reason, and he is also the other half of the almost award-winning podcast, Timothy Miller. Hello, world. This is this is happening. We have started a podcast called Practically Pastoring, and we are here. And this is weird. This is silly because there is a global pandemic. There is civil unrest. And somehow we had the idea to get on Zoom and talk to each other. How do you guys feel right now? I mean, dude, did you hear how awesome that intro was? Like, we nailed that. We the only first mean, time. Can you believe that we did it on the first take? That's so kind impressive. <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> How's everyone doing? How, how, like, like we are starting this podcast literally during a pandemic, during civil unrest, statues are being torn down. There still might be hornets somewhere. What's up with you guys? Like what's going on with you forgot about the Sudanese dust bowl flying over the Atlantic ocean. We've had that the past few days. I'm tired. The, the all online church thing, we breezed through that and got back to meeting in person with masks and being scary. And it is exhausting. I mean, we're just trying to figure it out right now. We're meeting in a roller skating rink. So I am, I'm literally receiving every pun. I've been called the Holy Roller Pastor. And uh, like, I, I don't know if I'm going to get away from that one, you know? So uh, trying to figure out how to do church in a, in a roller skating rink. In real talk, um, I grew up in this area and I moved away and I came back here. And it's really surreal because that that roller skate is where I danced with my first girl. Ooh. Yeah, when I was yeah, nine. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that's right. Now we dance with the gospel, you know, on that same stage. So <laughs> good Jesus. Yeah. I like that. I like it. What about you, Jeff? How's it going over there? Uh, things are pretty good here. We are a pretty small church. So uh, there's about 50 people. If uh, if everybody shows up on the same Sunday, maybe 70 ish. Um, and a number of them are older. And so uh, it's been interesting. I feel like the online thing is actually been more work. Um, especially like, and I'll tell the, a funny story about this later, but we are doing, we, we've done mostly, um, simulated live. So for me, that's kind of been my niche for the last while is doing video stuff on the side. So I was able to, you know, pivot that into, uh, oh dang, what are we going to do? Oh, I'll make videos. And, um, but that's like more work than actually just preaching the message. Cause you preach it and then you got to edit and then you got to upload and all that. So. I'm tired too. Like, uh, I feel like I'm emotionally spent a lot of times. Like I have a hard time. I have like brain fog in the mornings now I've noticed. It's, it's weird when you think like, you know, I thought because we're not meeting in person, like it'll be just like a lot more off days or a lot more like less work or something. And it definitely feels like way more work um, now than before, just because you're doing stuff that's not necessarily in your wheelhouse or doing stuff that's not normally on a typical schedule. Like, editing way more video and caring about lighting and stuff like that. 
And then, you know, even the pastoral care is, is heavier, right? Like you have to meet with more people and yeah. Tim, how, what's going And then we're have well, we're having to make decisions a lot. And I feel like everybody loses. Yeah. And, and I feel like everybody loses. Like there's, there's not a, there's not like a win-win scenario. Like every decision I made, the pastor down the street made a different one. We chose to open. They chose not to open. We have kids men. They did not have kids men or we didn't have kids men. So I, no matter what happens, we all lose. It's just a very unusual time for pastoral ministry. I, I think it's weird. We, we like, obviously for years, and I think all I can speak for all of us here, like we see like technological advances with other churches and we think like, why can't our church do live streaming? Why can't our church, you know, clip videos and stuff like that? And like, I think the blessing of COVID-19 is it pushed majority of churches into, you know, modern times with streaming and video technology. I know my church spent a lot of money to mounting video, mounting cameras so that we can do live stream when we have the both end of live services and streaming. But like at the same time, we, we have like a lot more people seeing other churches streams now. Right. And so now your church that, you know, is, is a sweet, humble church preaching the gospel is competing with Elevation, Transformation, Hillsong, <laughs> yep. Saddleback Mariners. And they're like, oh, that's what people are doing? And it's like, don't expect it. I don't look good in skinny jeans, right? Like, <laughs> like this is this is going to be difficult. Uh, have you guys been faced? I mean, you mentioned it. It's like we're, we're making decisions that are not easy. And like in one ear, we're having people complain that we're opening. And the other ear, we're having people complain that we're not opening, right? And like, like, what, how have you guys been wrestling with those those conflicts of opening and not opening, masks, no masks? I mean, like, you guys were in Florida. Numbers are skyrocketing down there. Like, how are you guys dealing with that? We had to make that call last week. I mean, we, Andrew and I, and we got together with some other pastors, and we had this group chat going. We had a call going, what are you guys going to do? Uh, one of our buddies sent out a really slick email, and then he sent us the copy, and we all used the copy to send to our churches. It was awesome because we knew that masks were inevitable. We just wanted to say it right and do it well. And one of our buddies came up with, with a great copy for us, and we all kind of went with And it. then it in the comments on our live stream, we had people – commenting, wait a second, I thought Andrew said that we were asking everyone to wear a mask. Why aren't the singers on stage wearing masks right now while they're singing into a microphone? And uh, then I had elders texting me about what people were commenting because the elders were at home watching online. And I'm like, you realize that you're texting me in the middle of a service. Like it's 1019 (laughs) at a 10 o'clock service. We are in the last song before I start to preach. And you think now would be a good time to text me. (laughs) I know, I classic i get that when people are sitting in the pews <laughs> like and it, and it's like kind of, i use an ipad to preach and it like pops up in my and i'm like i'm can we do this in the lobby in a minute <laughs> for us uh for for me i would say for me personally what i've struggled with more than the conversation and i would say i i feel like my past experiences sort of uh, jaded me to think, and my, most of my ministry experience was as a worship pastor in older churches. So I made a lot of people mad um, because the music is too loud and we didn't sing enough hymns and all that. Uh, and so, uh, and I was in youth ministry too, but I came here sort of expecting, and I came from a kind of a, a situation that was kind of toxic. And so like, I came here with some, it's like, it's like ministry PTSD where you like expect people to be crazy. And then like, they aren't here. Um, so it's been a, a huge blessing, but I find myself struggling more with like, 
what I think people aren't saying and like their tone of how they're like agreeing with me. But I, but I can kind of tell that they either don't agree with me or they're leaving some stuff unsaid and they're kind of, and so that's, that's like a, that's, that anxiety is like harder for me to deal with than actually just making the decisions. So like we, you know, we canceled services. Our first canceled week was March 15th and we didn't come back to any kind of in-person until June 21st was our first outdoor service. So I had been through it once because I think, well, Frank, you would know this too, but like getting snowed out is a possibility now. And that happened once since I was here. So I had a little bit of that, like, Oh, we're going to cancel the service. But you know, obviously this time it was like, once we cancel, we don't know when we're coming back. And that was, that was probably the hardest part. And so I've been meeting with my, like, I have an advisory committee and we meet every Monday night uh, on zoom to talk about what we're going to do next. And we're like in this holding pattern now of like, we're doing outdoor services, but like we're, we're not ready to meet inside yet as a church. So it's, it's just weird. I know that we, you know, the, I wish the only issue we were facing right now was COVID, but like the other thing that, and I don't know, we actually haven't had this conversation offline either, but like how your churches are handling the civil unrest and stuff. And I know for my, my church is, is intentionally a church that tries to be multi-ethnic and, and um, when, when George Floyd happened and that Sunday services happen, like Jeff mentioned earlier, like we, we were, we would, we do services where we record it earlier in the week and then we stream it live on Sunday. So that service that we recorded had no mention of George Floyd or the riots happening in our own city. And so that service came out very, very tone deaf and people were like, why aren't we talking? Like there's a building on fire downtown. Like, why aren't we talking about this? And everyone, our entire stuff was like, we just made a huge mistake. And and so like we immediately like, like later that day made a video saying we're apologizing for for like we explained how we did the recording and then and then we actually pivoted our series out of Galatians into a four-week series about race, justice, and the gospel. And and like kind of like we were saying, one ear is people complaining about not meeting, the other ear people complain about meeting. We have people complain that we are talking too much about race and we're becoming liberal Marxists. And then the other year we're having people saying, we're not doing enough. Why aren't we organizing prayer walks and stuff like that? And, and it's like, I'm just, I just want to love Jesus and preach the gospel and walk through people's pain. But it's like, it's difficult. And I, I praise God. I'm just a campus pastor. So like, I'm not getting the brunt of the emails, mm-hmm. but it's a tough season being a pastor, man. Well, I know. Um, Yeah. I mean, South Carolina right here, man. Like it is, it's thick on all sides here. Um, and I will say I kind of in Frank's boat, I'm a campus pastor and uh, it, it happened. And then as soon as it happened, um, there were riots against our local Walmart. So you had a whole bunch of boys on one side of the Walmart in their big pickup trucks ready for it, you know, and uh, my pastor was there and they shut down the Walmart while he was in it. And uh, and he said um, he told me, he said, we have to do something. So that Wednesday he actually sent out a message to all the pastors in our community and our Tuesday and Wednesday, we had about 70 of them came to our church, fully multi-ethnic. And, and our church is, is making a lot of strides that way anyways. Um, but it was really like, Hey, this is, this is what we need to do because kind of the opinion out here is um, somebody's going to take the fire of anxiety somewhere. But if we if we bring a different fire, you know, if we bring something from God. So we met together and pastor our pastor Clay, um, he actually had another member of the African-American community up the stage with him. 
And um, they organized a, a march together. So we've done that. And then tomorrow at our church, it started today, but um, all these pastors, they created a task force because anytime you get a bunch of pastors together, we're going to make it some kind of committee. We'll name it something different. So it sounds edgy and put a couple millennials on it to validate that it has worth, you know? So like, but, but it, honestly, it was a good thing. It was a task force and they actually came out with a pretty well-written statement. This is what the churches of Sumter affirm about um, being made in the image of God and racism and police um, brutality. And um, what's really interesting, and I'm learning through this, I feel like my posture in a lot of these conversations is to be the learner. And, and because I, I look in the mirror and say, God, what do you have to teach me? And what I'm learning throughout all of this is the stuff we don't see. Kind of like what Frank, I know you've been tweeting about it a lot, um, the books you've been reading and everything. And it has been a lot of, of learning, but it's really neat because um, you see the snapshots of what's happening in all the cities and the riots and the looting. But in our little town of Sumter, we had a march with about 2,000, 2,500 people there. And it was just beautiful. And at the end of it, it ended at the courthouse and the gospel was preached. Um, so, and I think to kind of round about to it, talking about the practical way of handling it, I think you handle it as soon as it comes out. Because the sec- the longer you let this thing go unspoken to. And the longer you remain silent in it, the more the community fills in the gaps with horrible information. So we, we've we been chugging through that around here, but we have seen some strives for unity. But I think kind of to echo what you were saying, in some regards, there's a no win. Um, in our area, and I don't know what it is in your context, um, one of our white pastors stood up and said, listen, I spoke out against racism and I lost congregants. And, and I know that I should be okay with that, but it still hurts. I love these people. And, um, so that's what we agreed to do every single church in Sumter over the course of the next month, every Caucasian church and black church would speak on racism because if you're going to leave our church and go down the road, the first prayers, guess what? You're going to get that same message. And we came together and we agreed if any pastor got fired for speaking for racism, we would pay his salary for a half a year. Um, and that's, that's the way we've attacked it as best as we could in this community. I know it's all like, what's the right answer, but that's kind of our stab at it around here. That's awesome. It's been a, a, an eye opening experience for me. I'm, I'm very much on the learning side, Frank. I appreciate the stuff you've been putting out and I've been trying to just get different voices to speak into me. Um, we, we addressed it, uh, probably a week and a half later, not the, the first Sunday, but the next Sunday. And I did. I, I had um, I had a family get up and walk out in the middle of the sermon, and he he mumbled under his breath, "I can't take this." As he as he walked out with with his kids in hand too, so it was a it was an awkward. It was only our it was our second Sunday back in person, so it, it was just it was already an awkward experience. And then I'm, as a, as a white preacher, I'm looking out to a sea of white people, you know, preaching and hitting on this topic. It is just an, it's an awkward spot for me to be in because here I am supposed to be leading a, a church where we believe everyone is made in the image of God. And yet um, everyone looks the exact same. For us, it's been, it's been interesting for us because um, a, a couple of things. One, we are, uh, I mean, when I arrived here, it's we're maybe 45 to 50 percent Caucasian. Um, so we're just pretty diverse and internationally diverse. 
Um, a significant percentage of people are immigrant families from the Philippines, um, Africa, and um, some of the Latin American countries. I am uh, half Peruvian. My mom is from Peru, so I'm, I have the kind of multicultural family background. And then on top of that, um, Baltimore has a long history of corruption and particularly in the police department. And then you had Freddie Gray happen in recent memory. So um, for me to address it as simply a white or white and black issue uh, actually is, it's just more complicated. So what, what I, what, what it got in his, you know, grace, what happened was I was deciding to do, I had decided to do a series on the kingdom of heaven um, and just really emphasizing the, I was trying to emphasize the over politicization that's happened and uh, the reality that we are, you know, as Christians, we're citizens of another kingdom and we're basically politically homeless. Um, we don't have, you know, uh, allegiances. Our primary allegiances are not here. And so we just pivoted that into talking about how, you know, citizens of the kingdom of heaven relate to society and culture. And Sunday, I uh, just did a very brief history of kind of the history of racism in the United States and in the churches in the early in the colonies. And then this next week we're going to um, on 4th of July weekend, we're going to cover the kind of Jim Crow era. So. And right after you sing America, the beautiful. Uh, nope. <laughs> hey, I appreciate this conversation. I thought this was going to be uh, light, silly banter and we got really personal. And I think that's amazing for this first episode <laughs> of the podcast. And I love it. Hey, we are going to go into another segment called clergy cliff notes. Maybe eventually we'll get like a zinger and like a little for clergy cliff notes or something, but it's referred to as a stinger, a sting. Would I say you said a zinger? I've been listening to the office ladies podcast quite a bit and they've been diving into what all those noises are called. Yeah. They just make all kinds of stingers for no reason on that show. I love that show. It's really funny. Because they make all kinds of money. All kinds of money. Hey, what's that syndication for a show for 20 years? Plus, we're going to pay you a million dollars to talk about the show that made you famous. That's a great gig. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to be on one TV show and then never have to worry about anything again like that. But Clergy Cliff Notes are stories, articles, and ideas we found on the internet that we think are interesting that have something to do with pastoral ministry and pastoring people. So we're going to, we've all kind of found some stuff on here that we thought were interesting and useful to this conversation. And we're going to talk about it. So Delmar, um, tell us uh, what you found online. Man, are y'all ready? I mean, I've been digging actually, you know, we've been digging. So uh, Netflix, you know, have you seen the floor? The floor is lava. So good. I I have like, can I be honest? I actually thought that that was a youth group thing. Like I have been playing that for years when I was a youth pastor. And like, I feel like is, is Netflix so out of ideas now that they're, they're like, they're tapping into us. It's like, hello. I mean, who else? Um, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon's been doing it for years too. Right? Like he is our spirit animal youth pastor with the games. But like, if, if you haven't seen it, like the whole idea is the whole floor is literally like lava and you got to get across it. What I love about that show is the way they edit it is if you fall into the lava, it's as if they die. <laughs> they die. Done, bro. <laughs> you don't see them. So I'm fun. not going to 
I had my kids convinced for half the episode that they actually died, and they were terrified of the show. It was awesome. Yeah, I saw the I saw yeah. the article on uh, on on Newsweek. So I just go to you know Netflix. What's this? And I'll be honest, man. I saw that youth pastors were in it on the last run. So I just fast forwarded to them. I was like, I want to see these guys. And then the chick falls in and doesn't come up. I'm like, is no one caring? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed all of that. I was like, wow, that seems kind of messed up, but that's definitely it. But you know what I thought was hilarious when I was watching it? Like they would say these one-liners, especially the pastors, these group of youth pastors. I'm like, every one of them represents someone I've met in the church. <laughs> like yep. the one girl, <laughs> like the one little girl, the one girl, she's sitting on the pyramid and she's about to fall in. And they're like, how are you? And she's like, I feel fine. Everything's great. I'm just hanging in. And like, She's physically like the the muscles in her veins. I'm like, isn't that like how it is to be in ministry sometimes? And then uh, the one guy at the end, because you have to like jump on to this final thing, you know, to get the point. And uh, he's looking at it and he's like, I feel within me that I can make it. And I'm like, bro, you are like totally like going against everything you've ever taught your kids, right? Like it's not about how you feel. And then uh, And then when they made it, like it just hit me. How many times they said Lord or God and they were not praying to him at all. I was like, <laughs> yeah, these are these are definitely youth pastors right here. But uh, I think I think like what I was kind of looking at this, I was like, man, isn't that the rod of ministry? Like it does feel like I don't even really need to watch a reality TV show. <laughs> but but seriously, if you were to make a reality TV show of uh, of like new pastors, like a lot of ours are, what would be the scenario that you would place new pastors in just to watch them? like do their thing and it would be an amazing show we're going to help you out right now netflix anointing somebody with oil for the first time in the hospital (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm assuming there's a story there right (laughs) not for me personally but uh, thankfully in this not to take it too serious but for me uh i I had the you know the ability to watch somebody like somebody coached me how to do it but man even the first time I mean, it's just, it's so awkward because you're like, not sure how much and where. And you don't want a nurse to come in because then the nurse is going to think that you're a warlock and you don't want that. I just had a funny story come to mind about anointing somebody with oil. I was, it was right after a service. I was wearing like a pair of joggers, you know, like the khakis with the, with the, the bottom that's like a jogger. So, and I, I knelt down on one knee because a person was sitting in the front row and completely blew out the inseam of my, (laughs) my pants in the front row. (laughs) And like, nobody saw it except one of the, how did you cover up? One of the elders was sitting there and he saw it like happen. And he was like, he was like shaking, (laughs) laughing, but like keeping it in. So the small church pastor life, I literally got up, while everyone else was still praying, like I took my hand off the person and got up and walked out the lobby, walked across the parking lot to my house, which because I live in a parsonage, changed my pants and came back and not that many people noticed. But it was pretty funny to talk about at lunch with that elder That's, after. Back to the premise, I think like if you did do something where it was like the first time us, these pastors are doing the first thing ever, you know, like, hey, the first time that I ever baptized somebody, I don't know about y'all, that was that was um, it was well at my church I'm at now. One of the first people I ever had to baptize was a 97 year old woman on oxygen, mm. on oxygen with back problems. And the <laughs> pastor was out, and they're like, they called me in last minute, they're like you need to handle this. I'm like, 
this this is like a lawsuit. I so I actually had her I had her son get in there with me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think like virtually half the experiences we're at, like it's basically reality TV, anyways. I, I think um, a good reality show that's kind of like that would be you know there's like those like um, shows like um, how to start a bar or how to start a restaurant and they give you like like a hundred thousand dollars and you have to like build a menu and branding and all that stuff like that would be an interesting show of like hey here is a hundred thousand dollars start a church get the branding get get the the pews whatever and like I think that'd be interesting but I will say this I don't know if you guys know this I may have told some of y'all this my church was in a reality TV show once what no yeah <laughs> I didn't know that there's a was church there, was there a British a, guy yelling at you no no <laughs> Um, dude, hold on. I got, I can't remember who the host was, but there was a show on the game show network called it takes a church and it was a dating show. It was a dating reality show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was the host was Rebecca St. James. I'm almost certain about that. Um, and Darlene, no, did real, you know real, that I, I'm waiting I, for I personally you. wasn't on that show, but my church was, and, um, basically they had one woman from our church and there was three men that were, um, that were like brought up to be the possible suitors. And there was these different situations that they had to face. One of them, <laughs> this is so funny. This is so dumb. Our church is so embarrassed by this. And like, we like pleaded with Netflix to take it off and it's not on Netflix anymore. But um, um, there, there was a situation because our church had a ministry to Karini people, which is like a people group near Burma that were oh, like no. persecuted. And so like, they were like, Hey, this is how we minister to these people group in our in our in our church, and like there was a lady like dressed up in a like cultural appropriate Burma, Burmese outfit or whatever, and and basically they were like doing missions work, and while they were doing missions work, they got to talk to one another to get to know each other, and ultimately like there was a winner, and she had to choose. It was basically the Bachelor Church Edition, and it was cringy. <laughs> And it was amazing. amazing. Was Joshua Harris a host, uh, a judge? <laughs> at, at, any point, <laughs> at, at, at any point, did she feel like she just needed to take some time to date Jesus for that season? <laughs> no. All I know is uh, I, I actually know the guy she ended up, that went, ended up winning, and they didn't work out. Like, she moved to <laughs> Chicago. So Shocker. Thought. Yeah. Um, hey. Um, That's worse uh, than summer camp love, man. <laughs> for real. That's for real. <laughs> hey, Tim. Timothy, what do you got for us? Boys, I, I started a new book recently. It is, uh, it's, it's by Costi Hinn, Benny Hinn's nephew. And he, he just dives into the world of name it and claim it and prosperity living. Uh, as he was, a, he was a catcher for his uncle, Benny. When at, at those healing services, when people would fall over, Costi was there to, to to grab you and make sure you were okay. And so I, I <laughs> in this world that we find ourselves in of preachers and sneakers, right, where preachers are getting called out for the shoes that they're wearing, let alone like we don't have to dive into the Benny Hen stuff, right? I mean, <laughs> we're talking like twenty thousand dollar a night hotel rooms, right? Okay, I get it. That's extreme. That's over the top. That's unreal. How in the world? But at what price point are my shoes too much? Like how much is too much for pastors? Um, I, I, I like tennis shoes. I don't live in that world, but I do have annual passes to Disney world. Like, is that too much? 
So I'm kind of wrestling with this question of how much is too much for pastors? Is it okay for pastors to live comfortably in a world of preachers and sneakers? So I, I kind of want to hear where you guys fall on this. I, I mean, I'd much rather err on the side of, you know, as far away from that as possible. But at the same time, I have five kids and we lived in a couple of houses that were nowhere near big enough for my family. And now we live in a house that's quite comfortable for my family. So where are you guys at on this discussion of how much is too much? I drive a 14 year old Hyundai specifically so that I tell people, well, I could make a car payment, but I've chosen to send that car payment to Disney World. And that whenever anyone says anything about my annual passes at Disney, because I have four kids and and it's a no, I want them. They wouldn't remember what car daddy was driving, but they would remember our Disney trips. And so that's been my go to to justify. Yes, yes, yes. We do post lots of Instagrams from Disney World when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic. But I also drive a 14 year old Hyundai for that purpose, not because I couldn't go out and get another car, but because I, I I want the car as a disclaimer for my Disney tickets. I think I think like I, I don't think the, the ultimately I don't think the issue is income. I think the issue is the flex, right? Like mm-hmm. like for example, it, it's 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 public knowledge that Rick Warren probably is super rich, or at least has the potential to be super rich because he has the best selling book of all time after the Bible, right? Like so so I mean like. But we also know that Rick Warren reversed tithes. So, like, he, like, gives, like, 90%. I don't know. That's a ridiculously high number. Most of his income back to um, the church. I mean, John Piper is in the same world, too, where, like, with all the books he's written, he probably could be a millionaire, too. But he, but the, all the book sales goes back into his ministry. I don't think he sees a penny of it. Um, and I think he just takes a stipend from Desiring God or whatever. I think, like, to me – there's a lot of contextual conversations because like I remember when I was looking for a job before I moved to Milwaukee, I saw um, a, a pastor's job in San Francisco and the the youth pastor job was 70 or 80 K a year. And I was like, youth pastors get paid more than the, they get paid 80 K. And I was like, Oh, that's like below minimum wage in California though. You know what I'm saying? But like I think there is like a, a contextual thing because like if you're a, if you're a pastor in a suburban community and the medium income is a certain income and you're getting paid that much, I don't think there's anything sinful or wrong with it. But I think it's the flex that's the issue, right? Like for me, I I, I bought um, a, a friend of mine is a big sneakerhead and he got me a pair of Jordans that normally cost three hundred dollars. I got it for like a hundred bucks and. I wear I wear like a lot of outfits that match those Jordans and they're like my nicest pair of shoes. And so I've worn those shoes often at church, but it's not like a flex. It's like literally like what my Sunday best would be if right. we're talking about Sunday's best, right? Um, but like there's been times where it's like – like you guys where if I have a speaking opportunity at a conference or, or I got something where I got some extra cash, I – you know, we could put it in a car, we could put it in something that's flashy, or I could put it in Disney tickets where no one's going to see it, but I'm going to enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Um, like right now, I, I, I booked a Disney cruise um, back in like late 2019, and we kept postponing it. And because of COVID, I can't go to this cruise in 2021. I have so much money 
ripped, like hold it in Disney, I can't do anything about it because they're only going to give me Disney credit to refund me. So I'm like, <laughs> I got to go on this Disney cruise one day. But like, I saved a lot of money on that, and that's the. I know two of you guys are big Disney fans. Disney cruises are stupid expensive, yep. but like, but like I, I said to you know me and my wife were like, hey, if we're gonna go on vacation, let's make this a popping vacation. Let's save up some money and put it towards this cruise. It's not like we're flexing on anybody, right? And I think that's the problem where I think what preachers and sneakers is trying to expose is, is why are pastors flexing on people? Like why are pastors? especially the, the the where Benny Hinn comes in the conversation is why are people pastors flexing on people when their congregants are like below poverty lines or are in desperate need. And they're literally going to these, to these churches or these services for, um for a prayer for wealth. I remember when I lived in Tampa in high school, I went to um, Paula White's church without walls. Um, and I was like, Yo, there's a secret garage for a Hummer in here. This is a crazy church, you know. Like, and like at 16, I didn't really understand what the prosperity gospel meant. Looking back, I'm right. like, I know where Without Walls Church is. It's in the hood. Like, yep. I walked there from my school. Like, none of these people are anywhere near that income. And and so I think for me, it was like that's more of my issue because I because like mm-hmm. almost all of us know also amazing pastors in california right now who live in houses that are quadruple worth of our houses and they're the most humblest guys ever and they're not flexing their wealth they just live in orange county california right you know and i think that's where this conversation is 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 the tricky point because it's the flex yeah man. i don't think i don't think pastors should be flexing is what i'm saying yeah man i'm i'm actually super with you i think there is that line where you know where you're crossing into that but also just to kind of kick it back to what we were saying about everybody watching online it's one of the double-edged swords of of the of where we live now you know 30 years ago we weren't watching the pastors in california you know and one of the things i've always been taught when you preach exegete your audience you know and some of them they're really preaching and they're wearing something that is contextually relevant to their audience. I remember Preacher Sneakers, the first time they released a, uh, a Judas Smith picture where he's wearing like this leather jacket. This thing's like 11, 1100 bucks, man. Like I'm in South Carolina. That's a lot of money down here. I'm just saying. But like he, when you see that, you're able to say like, wow, he's that to me, that looks like a flex. But also, isn't that dude like Justin Bieber's pastor? <laughs> it's like. How do I not know that Justin Bieber said, hey, man, I got you something? You know, like, I don't know that. And then also, I've read Judas Smith's books. I've listened to him preach. I feel like I've got a snippet of his heart. He doesn't seem to be doing that. But when Kenneth Copeland's rolling out on a yacht saying, you know, God bless you to bless me. I mean, that's a whole. So I think, yeah, the line does exist. But I think sometimes we tend to back that line up a little more than it should be. And we're like, oh, I don't like him as a preacher. And also, he's wearing some expensive shoes. So now I've got dirt on him. It's, you know, the guy driving the $60,000 Mercedes, how dare you? That's so irresponsible. But he spends that same $60,000 on a Suburban, and hey, that is a responsible family car. Your family will go on road trips in comfort now, and it's the same money. I think, too, like, and before I go on, I just want to, I mean, I should say to start, landsdownalliance.org slash give, um, <laughs> but... <laughs> You can designate that gift specifically to you, right, Jeff? That's right. Um, no, what I was going to say is there is an aspect of like when I for, so for me personally as another pastor watching, you know what's going on on Instagram with sneaker preachers and sneakers and stuff. Obviously, you know there's the prosperity gospel angle, and you know if you haven't watched American Gospel, 
you should definitely watch it, which is, I assume, where you started interacting with Benny uh, with um, Costi Hin. Yes. Um, yeah. Same for me. I haven't read the book, but anyway. But there's an aspect of when, you know, Jesus tells Peter, what's it to you? Like, what happens with, with John? And, like, I think that's a part of It's like I can spend all my time being mad about other pastors' shoes and, like, what they're spending. But, I mean, it's like I'm not in their church and I'm not their elder, so... And and then like the line for me is like it has to come back to how you love your people and how you shepherd your people. Like so for me, like my the building, the church campus is in a a, a very low income area. Um, you know, I mean it's it's Baltimore. I mean it's it's so if I first of all, if I had a Mercedes parked here, it, it would be jacked up the first couple nights. But <laughs> but we recently bought a newer car for our family. We we. We had a Honda Element, uh, and Frank will have to tell that story sometime. But uh, <laughs> it was a different one. But um, it was a 2004, and it had like almost 200,000 miles on it. We were about to take a trip, and it was like, should we rent a car for the trip? Or maybe we should think about upgrading the car. And we ended up just getting a 2016 uh, like Jeep, one of the small SUVs. And, um, you know, I think for me, it was just it was just about like loving my people well so that I didn't lose leadership and influence with them because they were distracted by something that's silly, you know, that I, I mean, I don't, I just don't need. So I think when you're thinking about where's the line as a, as a pastor, I think, and I think specifically as a younger pastor with older congregants, I think you have to watch out for things that are going to cost you leadership for dumb reasons, because you're going to need that. You're going to need those leadership chips later. And like, you know, having flashy tennis shoes, like they don't care about that. So, and actually it, it can create a distraction. So for me, it's just about like leadership and loving my people well. Cause most of them, I mean, and I mean, I just, I don't know how you sleep at night knowing people are giving your, your whole salary is dependent on people giving money. So, I mean, it's a, it's a hard one. I mean, I don't think what we do isn't worth being paid, but it's a tough one. I like what you said, Jeff worry about your own church. <laughs> like basically it's like, I mean, we can worry about other pastors. And I think there's, there's a conversation to be had there, but like, um, I mean, ultimately it's like, yeah. Creating the equity with your own people and not doing anything to like, and honestly, like break bridges. you need to be mature enough to use that unfollow button. Like if you can't yeah. handle it, just unfollow it. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. Hey, Andrew, what is your, uh, clergy cliff note? So gentlemen, we, uh, we had some discussion about this before we got into it. I'm just going to give you the very okay. Cliff Notes version of the story because it's not PG rated. It's probably not PG 13 rated. Uh, there is a <laughs> story in the New York Post from this weekend that starts like this uh, Disgraced Riverside Church Reverend Dr. Amy Butler has taken her, I'll let you Google it, to Washington, D.C., according to her social media. And the story is about how this pastor has a new job a year after she was fired for doing something stupid. I mean, again, I'll let you Google it. Her name is Amy Butler. It's a, It would be a scandalous story no matter who did it, but here she is. She gets fired. A year later, she takes an interim pastor position at a church, and the New York Post is running a news story about it. What she did was not, I mean, maybe it was immoral in some people's eyes in a weird way, 
she was not embezzling. She was not, she made things very awkward with her staff. That's for sure. But I don't think anybody would look and read the the new Testament and say that she had been disqualified for ministry based on the actions that she was fired for. And here we have a year later, the New York post decides, Hey, this person got a new job. We should tell that story about what happened last summer. Cause boy, it's a doozy. And so I read that and I thought, first of all, um, try reading this without giggling. And secondly, I thought, okay, at what point do you say, all right, this person has paid their price. When is it okay for that person to, to have a job again? And if you embarrass yourself in a public setting, do you ever get to live that down? And, you know, we were just talking about Driscoll and it's been what, six years since, uh, Mars Hill imploded. And when we talk about Driscoll and whatever circles you talk about Driscoll, that's the first thing that pops into your mind. So at what point when you did something stupid, and again, Google this lady, um, it was stupid and make sure that, uh, your safe search is on maybe, I don't know. Uh, but when he, when you read the story, maybe have your spouse next to you so that you have some accountability. Oh uh, covenant eyes might get pinged. For yeah. Co- covenant eyes might get pinged. But again, <laughs> When you do something stupid, not overtly immoral, there was no affair, there was no abusing power, and but when you get fired, at what point is it, okay, this person is ready to return to ministry, and, and what do you do when the New York Post finds out that you're an idiot? Because that's the, <laughs> that's the other question here. Like, if you're going to be an idiot pastor, thank goodness most of my idiot pastor days were before the internet is what it is now. Um, and, and there were not religion bloggers in 2005 writing about the stupid things I did right after I got hired. But, but what do you do? Like, do you just own it and say, I might as well put this in my Instagram bio at this point, because when anybody ever looks me up, this is the first thing they're going to think of. Well, first of all, I think most of the people who are listening have probably paused the podcast, Google it. So welcome back. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah but can, 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 but can you imagine an, an article about you saying the elusive outed cleric? <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Another podcast to make. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think Paul was running that for most from, from that most of his ministry career, wasn't he? Like, yeah. Like he did some real stupid things, and I think there are people who are just never going to give the same grace that they themselves expect. Yeah, and, and it, I think. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was. Saying, I don't know this lady. I don't know her church. I don't know her theo- theological background. I just tried looking her up on LinkedIn as we were talking because I should have done that earlier to know you know what type of church she left and what type of church she's going to. But just in general, in ministry you do something stupid and a year later the newspaper is like, Hey, remember that stupid thing that person did? I mean, I think like we, we, we live in a, uh, in such a a world where like all of our lives are very public, right? Like, like you just mentioned, you you try to look it up on LinkedIn. Like the fact that I can go on people's LinkedIn to look at their job history is something that's like, it's a modern thing. That's weird. Right. It's like weird voyeurism. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fact that like, uh, an individual citizen of our country, whether or not that they were a clergy or not, the fact that they can be picked up by the news because of getting a job is is a it's a, it's an interesting issue 
And the fact that like we know so much about Mark Driscoll and what happened in his church or James McDonald or Perry Noble, like we know so much about what's going on in their churches and their leadership stuff. We're like, that's only a thing that's probably been able to be happened in the past like 20 years. Right. And I, you know, there's a passage, I had to look it up because I don't have the Bible memorized, but in first Thessalonians four, there's a passage that talks about how um, Paul is encouraging them. He says, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Mm. And, 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 and I, I, that passage always bothers me because it's like, I want to post on social media. I yeah. want to, I, I want to, I want to, I want to post on my story. And, and I get, I, I, I wrestle with that passage about like what Paul assumes, like a Christian should live a life that is kind of quiet, like not like a, a too, like maybe flash is the wrong right word, but like a Christian should mind their own affairs. Um, but I also wrestle with that because, like, I'm at a really large church that has a large social media presence that is asking me to make videos and to broadcast stuff. And then we live in a world where social media, if we're honest, is also a form of discipleship for our people because we can show our lives online and say, you know, follow me as I follow Christ type of thing. But then when you fail, it's way more inflated than it was before, right? In this, in the example of like, there's so many people I know who've gotten fired from churches for making dumb mistakes that were able to get hired later. And like, it didn't make front page news because like there was nothing to expose them, right? But I think sometimes it's like- See, I know people that got fired for actually exposing, but that's another story <laughs> for another- Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, I know people like that too. But I guess- I guess the the things that's like, man, when it comes to moral issues, like I think you're only accountable to your elders and your Lord and your, the people you sinned against and, and the church that takes on that person afterwards has to really walk with that burden of saying like, you know, understanding that if we hire this person, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be weird. Now, if it's like, you know, like, for example, when I look at the stuff like with Driscoll and James McDonald, there's like some weird business practices and there's some interpersonal stuff that was weird. But I'm not sure if that's like fully along the lines of disqualification unless there's parts of the story I don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a part where they can go through mentoring and counseling and like accountability that could probably be helpful. But when you have something like adultery or yeah, yeah. adultery well, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like that's the kind of stuff where it's like you're like – Scripture is pretty clear on what disqualification means, mm-hmm. and um, and you're taking a risk, both hiring someone who has had such a, a big public moral failure, but you're also taking a risk with your own people, saying we're going to instill this pastor who had a public moral failure, and now our church is going to be tagged with this line of having a pastor that used to have. A, so there's like some politics, I guess, with that. Well, and I can't, you know, can you imagine like you send off this awesome resume? This this and I just looked it up. She's got a, She went to Baylor. Um, I went to to seminary in Texas. Baylor is one of the best undergrad theological programs in the country. Um, she's she's got a doctorate. She's got all these ducks in a row. Can you imagine getting that resume? I mean, like, wow, this person sounds great. I wonder why they're unemployed. And then you go, oh my! Like, how do, <laughs> how do you ask that question in the interview process? Like, so tell me about why you left your last church. Yeah. And. At what point do you just get so sick of telling the story that you just walk away? Or do you say, no, here's my calling. Here is what God has called me to do. And it's going to be uncomfortable for me to tell my story for a little bit. But maybe 
maybe God's going to use the bonehead thing that I thought was a practical joke or the bonehead thing that I thought was a whole lot funnier than anybody else thought it was um, to teach me humility. I don't know, but it's a it's a wild story. You know, I could I could pull it back and redeem Driscoll a little bit. <laughs> I was uh, I was listening to him preach in person one time. I was going through some serious stuff in my own life. And uh, he made this quote and he said, um, that pain that you're going through, how much has it cost you? And like all the incidents are coming in my mind, all the conversations, all the, the tweets that I've read about me, all that stuff. And then he just got really quiet and he goes, if pain costs you so much, then why don't you use it? And I think, I think like, yeah, we make boneheaded mistakes, but that's where we let the gospel shine through that. And that's where we, we admit our faults. We lean into grace and like, we trust that, um, that Holy spirit who brings unity amongst people can do that between you and your new congregation. You know, that's been kind of like a, something that's hit me. Um, if it costs you a lot, then use it, you know, lean into it. To be clear, there might be some people who failed out of ministry who probably shouldn't be back in ministry, right? Oh, like, for fair, super for fair. Sure. Yeah, I think there's there's a there's a conversation on the other side of this of another line that maybe you could you could think of, where at at what point do you become you know a fierce wolf that Paul warns against? Yeah, right. like at what point is it now to the point you know it? So to use your example, is she open about this? I mean, it's only been a year. That's not yeah. that long. Is she, you know, is she the one initiating the conversation about, hey, you, you know, this might come up? Uh, because I'll tell you, in my story, I we were I worked with a guy who had been uh, who had to retire early under some shady circumstances based on some plagiarism and stuff that was in a newspaper article that nobody knew about until it kind of just came to light. So that's a circumstance where that, you know, that that's where I think that gets you closer to that wolf status where you're trying to manipulate things and, you know, use the church as an easy way to make income or whatever. And then and then the other part of it is how, you know, is disqualification for a season? Is it can it be forever? Is it with a particular church? Does it move with you as you move in ministry? Like, how does that work? Who decides you're restored? A lot of a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, I, I like when um, Tolian Chavitigen was mm-hmm. brought back into ministry, and then I think yeah. he failed again. Yep. So, like, is that now? Is it a lifetime disqualification? I mean, we don't have clarity on that. You know, major major league baseball rules should apply. You know, you get a a forty game suspension the first time, yeah, and then <laughs> so on and so forth after that. And also, like, like what what have you done to learn from? I think the first question should be. Hey, I'm, I know this is awkward, but when I Googled you, here's what I found. Tell me yeah. what you have done, what you have learned, or are you going through life with a chip on your, sh- on your shoulder saying, these people are so dumb, you know, in, in this specific situation, these people are being puritanical. They didn't get my sense of humor. What, you know, if, if somebody else would have done this, it would have been seen differently, but is, is that the way that you look at it? Or do you say, no, 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 I, I've taken a good hard look at myself. I've, I've been to counseling. I've, I've met with other people and here is my game plan moving forward. But it's just, I, I pray that I never do something so stupid that the newspaper writes an article about it. And then every time I get a new job, they bring it up again. 
But part of our, I think part of our role as lead pastors now is to work to build elders that are strong enough to ask those questions to the next yeah. guy. Because the one of the first questions I got asked here by one of the elders was, what are you running away from? Yeah. And he just straight up asked me that. Now, you know, you guys don't know his personality, but uh, he, it's funny now looking back on it. But it was a great question, and I was able to talk actually through some things that I wasn't running away from, but I was certainly ready to move on. Guys, we have peaked. These are great questions. Like This is like <laughs> an amazing clergy cliff note section. Um I want to move us to our next segment, kind of just the main discussion portion. Um, We are starting this podcast. There is a Facebook group that is going to be associated with this. Um, And and I think what what, what started this whole thing was a discussion. I began with Delmar, and then I kind of went through the rest of you guys. Is, you know, we were all at youth ministry at some point. And we all found really good community in youth ministry. Um, you know, me, Andrew, and Tim's relationship really stemmed from being a part of DYM and and being involved, um, helping with DYM 100s and DYM just events. Uh, Jeff and I with the Baba College together, and um, we were actually business partners at one point. Um, and like, he, you know, kind of like how Andrew and Tim, you guys are like best buds, and we were able to bounce ministry ideas with each other. I mean, for years, Jeff and I had the opportunity being in the same town, um, not just at the same school, but being in churches in the same community. And then uh, I was talking to Delmar offline and, you know, we met because um, I started blogging. Even though we actually went to college together my freshman year in Charleston, but we met through uh, another youth ministry community and sharing ideas and kind of having similar journeys in employment. And, and one thing that those youth ministry communities gave us is real community as youth workers and as ministry leaders that we couldn't necessarily find in our local communities, but more than that, like we can't find it necessarily with our congregants. Um, there's this, like, I would say like a, almost like this fraternal order when you're in ministry that like, you're like, you look at each other, you give each other a nod. Like, I know what you're going through. And like, like as much as we can be friends with our congregants and be, and have built beautiful relationships, there's something about ministry that only other ministry leaders understand. And I think my biggest fear leaving student ministry, I had two things I honestly cried about. Like I actually like my wife was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. And I, and I cried is one is, is that feeling of losing your students. Like that's always hard when you leave a, a youth group, like you love those kids. You feel like you've raised those kids in many ways. And so leaving my students was really, really, really hard. And the second thing was, I'm afraid that if I become a campus pastor, I'm going to lose my community and lose yep. some like dear friends who've liked just are just so dope to be around and have helped me in ministry. And when I got into campus pastor stuff, there are zero good Facebook groups <laughs> to, for, for like senior pastors or campus pastors or whatever. A lot of these Facebook groups are like arguing about theology or doctrine, or they're just like self, you know, self promoting like, Hey, let me do your bulletins for you type of stuff. And, and, um, and I found myself, like I know some of you guys are going back to the youth ministry groups, trying to bounce off ideas, but like coloring them in youth ministry words, trying to figure out how I can make it apply to my senior pastor role, to campus pastor role. And I was like, dude, why isn't there something for us? Because this generation of youth workers who have been able to benefit from these youth ministry communities are now grad. Oh my gosh, I, was- I say graduating, are graduating <laughs> youth ministry. That is not true. <laughs> forgive me, forgive me, wow. Mr. Boyd in Texas, who's never going to leave youth ministry. 
Um, no, we're not graduating youth ministry, but we, we have, made it to the major leagues. We have transitioned into a the real pastor a, now, a pastors, senior pastor role, and we don't have this community. So why isn't that the case? And I think that's what our hope is: is that we can create that community, bounce ideas, understand that. Dude, even in this this panel of five people here, we got um, at least four different denominations. Tim and Andrew, you guys are in the same denomination, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, myself, and Delmar are in different denominations and and expressions of the Christian faith. But, like, we agree Jesus is true, but we're all on the same team. What did you say, Jeff? Different streams. Stream. Yeah, different different tribes to use Driscoll's we should words. We should call yes. this podcast Crossing Streams just to see <laughs> if uh, if it would catch on. What All are your right. thoughts? <laughs> cutting that out of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, so I guess my, my thing is this, is like when it comes to this conversation, like what is your hope for this? Like, I mean, the, I, my, I came to you guys saying, hey, let's start a Facebook group. And then I said, I have a silly idea. Let's do a podcast. And we all got excited about the podcast too. But what's your hope for this? Like what, what are you needing out of this community? And what are you hoping to see from this community and from this podcast? I think the whole idea of practically pastoring, um, I need, we need practical stuff. You know, so many of these groups is like, let's get in here and let's complain about the denominations choices at the last convention, you know? And it's like, no, like, how about let's, let's talk about how to get into, um, your local school as a senior pastor. Let's talk about how do we, how do we minister to the orphans and the widows? How do we do these things? And, um, just being able to have an ear to bend. You know, that's one of the things that I think I've taken for granted so much, even over the last 15 years of my life, is having such this community that quite honestly was growing right alongside of us, you know, truthfully. And now that we're here, like, I feel like this is the place where that community um, is an extension of what we have been doing. I mean, even this week, Frank, you know, I've been talking to you, I'm, I'm doing marriage counseling, and like, there's some major um, side things that came into that whole thing. And bro, it was nice to be able to call you just to be like, yo, I need to, I need to process out here what I normally would do in here. And I feel alone right now. So like, I'm already feeling the budding of this community coming out. So for me, it really is all that practical stuff, man. It's like, Hey, let's help each other out in the trenches, so to speak. I think having companionship is what keeps you in ministry. I think the biggest burnout in ministry is feeling like you are on an island and you are by yourself and there is nobody else on your team. Before uh, before Tim and I really started to do a bunch of stuff together, I had uh, started at, on staff at a church, not the church I'm at now, but I was the youth pastor at a church and my ministry career kind of went like the reverse order of what you expect it being. I kind of started at big churches and then found my way at smaller and smaller churches along the road. And for the first time in my career, after you know eight years of full time ministry, I was the only youth pastor on staff. Every other church I'd been at, there had been two or three or you know seven of us on the youth ministry team, and then I was just by myself. And when you have somebody else that is at the same life stage that you're at, and the same type of job that you have. There's just a little bit of an, I get what you're doing, you get what I'm doing, camaraderie that doesn't exist anywhere else. And we are in a world right now where there are so few people in senior leadership positions that are under the age of 40. The The statistic that really kind of pushed me when I was making the decision to come to this church was that there are more senior pastors beyond retirement age in the United States 
than there are senior pastors under the age of 40. And so this whole idea of, hey, I've got young kids. Hey, my wife and I are trying to balance. Do we become a two-income household again, or do we keep trying to do this thing as one-income thing? That conversation is a lot different when you're 55 or 60 than it is when you're 32 or 37. And so I think for this group to be like, yes, we are, you know, the, the practical tips and the practical advice is going to be there for everybody, you know, anybody and and everybody can join the group. But the idea that you can look at somebody and be like, you get me because you're going through what I'm going through. You are not just sharing a job title with me, but you're sharing a life stage with me. And because of that, we get each other. I just think that having that with Tim is what kept me at my previous church as long as I was there, knowing that somebody else was experiencing ministry in the way that I was experiencing it and so that I wasn't just going crazy on my own. And then how great is it for those those guys and gals who are, are making that transition into a senior uh, leadership role to find practically pastoring, right? And then to say, okay, wow, I'm not the only one who has made this transition. Because Andrew, he basically made the transition what, a year and a half before before I did. So he was he was right there with me, walking alongside of me. And Frank, I hear what you're saying because I'm still in all those youth ministry groups. Like I like I I, I still look for ideas. I still see what people are posting and, I, and I'm I'm kind of like, okay, where am I? I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a weird spot. Are there other pastors in leadership in in my role, or is it is it just kind of me out here by myself? But knowing that there's a community of us is lot like what Andrew says, what keeps us sane at times because we have like-minded people. So I'm, I'm excited about this adventure. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, in terms of learning from and kind of building a community with people that are roughly my same age and same life stage, um, you know, it's, it's in Florida, especially in my denomination, it was mostly retirement age guys. And, um, you know, it's been interesting because I don't, I don't consider myself primarily coming from a youth ministry standpoint. I was more in the, I was a worship pastor and um, for whatever reason, a lot of churches tack those two things together, uh, worship and youth. So I was doing uh, mostly worship ministry before this. And before I took this role, I actually uh, candidated for a church in Montana, um, which I was in Florida at the time. So it was a pretty big change. And we did visit in January, so I got the full picture, and uh, I like the cold. But um, but that church was going to hire me to be a worship pastor, and I remember and, – and a, mi- a little bit of a mix of young adult pastor, too. And I remember coming home, my wife being like, you know, I, I think I think you need to make the transition to, to be – to look for a lead role because, you know, it's just at, – at, at some point you start – and I'm sure you guys have experienced this, too. You start running into that wall of like – I just, I see a different direction going and it's, it's more and more difficult to just kind of sit in that second chair and not be able to lead, lead the church in a different direction. So, you know, uh, I'm just, I'm guessing there's, there's also guys who are coming in gals who are coming from the worship ministry role into a senior leadership role. And it's just kind of different. So I'm looking to learn and, and meet other people too. You know, one thing that's so weird about being in my mid thirties during the past four months of coronavirus is, you know, the first several years I was in this role, it was like kind of getting used to being in charge and being the one to make the call. And the thought that I kept coming back to over and over again was, 
what would I do if I was at my previous church serving under my my former previous uh, senior pastor who was my mentor, who I love with all my heart, but the church online under that leadership would not have been easy. And now we're in a situation where the people that actually know and get the technology that we're using are the ones making the decisions. Hey, here's how we're going to do this. And it was a gift. And it took a few weeks to realize that. But the idea that, thank goodness, God has me in this position now, instead of shouting from that number two chair, no, we need to do it this way, this way, this way, but not having the actual say to be able to do it the way that needed to be done. What's cool is this is called practically pastoring. And so like I see youth pastors, children's pastors, worship pastors fighting their way in here because they're still pastoring and, and they're and they're looking for that kind of community. But one thing I also hear and, and like I, I you know, with my other podcast I have, I always say, I'm putting my cards on the table. If you want to like me, you can like me. And if you don't, that's okay. It's a big world. There's other people you can like. Like I, I have a, a reform bent. I, I, I'm in a complimentary, complementarian church. I've always been in complementarian churches, and 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 uh, you know, I, I know what I know, and I believe what I believe. Um, and I want to learn from people who aren't in that stream either. You know what I'm saying? So, like, one thing I found so beautiful in the youth ministry world is like, as much as I was the reformed. I, mean, I literally have a like my first youth ministry blog ever was like youth ministry and Calvinism. Like that was the name of my my the blog post I wrote. Like as much as like that is like the aim that like I I lean towards theologically. I have loved my time with a a, a female youth pastor in a Methodist church, and I learned so much from her. And I think that like um, with this Facebook group that I hope and I pray, and as we moderate, this is going to be true, is that this Facebook group is going to be a welcoming place for people who don't espouse the same thing I necessarily espouse, but I can learn so much from them. You know what I'm saying? I can learn so much from a a, a, a female Methodist pastor somewhere or a super high church Presbyterian somewhere. Like I, I, I want to learn and grow from this um, and still have my own convictions. Does that make sense? And I and I think that like uh, like I you know I even like how I heard Tim and Jeff both say like he or her you know like that's the kind of stuff that I want to really really be able to dive into this Facebook group because in I came into the the youth ministry community when I started engaging that network kind of very like holding on to my beliefs and thinking like hey if you don't believe what I believe you're probably whack and actually like me and Jeff have never talked Jeff challenged a lot of my views when I was living in Florida and be like. Hey, let's look at like Gregorian chants and see if it's chill. Like he, <laughs> he challenged me in some of my some of my perspective of like how I saw church, but like I thought this is what I believe in, and if you're outside of that realm, you're probably whack. And then when I said if I want to grow as a youth pastor, I have to be okay with voices that I disagree with because there's mm-hmm. going to be good stuff that they're going to have to teach me. If we're honest, it's going to be the same thing with us as lead pastors and as camp as campus pastors. It's like if we can learn from people from different denominations, different convictions, and as the saying goes, like eat the meat and spit out the bones. Like if you disagree with something, you don't have to comment. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm, I'm excited about what this, this, this Facebook group could be like. I'm excited about what this podcast can be like. And I'm honestly excited just to hang out with you guys. You guys are super dope and funny and, uh, and a good hang. When we start having people listen to this podcast, we might get questions and I want this final segment to be just answering a single question that we can all just go around the horn and answer. And since no one has listened to this podcast yet, 
Um, I want to ask you guys a question to kind of help people get to know us better. Who are we? Who are you? Like, let's just get like, we kind of talked about some high level stuff. You may be able to pick some stuff on the way, but like uh, a couple questions. I just want to out the gate say like, hey, where are you located? The name of your church? How long you've been there? How long have you been in ministry in general? Talk about your family and then answer this simple question. This doesn't have to be too long. Why are you a pastor? And just to make it simple, I'll go first since I asked the question. Um, I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, my name of the church is called Epicos Church. People mispronounce it all the time. It's a Greek word for the word epic. Um, and I've been there for a little over four years, but I just became the campus pastor this past like December. But I've been at my church since uh, 2015. Uh, I've been in ministry since I've, I was an intern at a church in 2006. So I've been in church. I've been like in ministry for about 14 years. And um, I am married with no kids, but I have a, a super cute dog named Grace, which I'll talk about one day. She got shot in the face with a, by a teenager with a gun, and that's why we name her Grace. That sounds really – like everyone's eyes just got dramatic. <laughs> she's she's totally normal. Like she, there's like no like defect. It went through her cheek and not the other cheek. It, it, I'll talk about it later. And then the reason why I'm a pastor is this. Um, in in uh, When I was in high school, I got saved at 17. And um, going to my senior year, I took that test everyone takes to try to figure out what you're going to be for the rest of your life. And it said like plumber. And I was like, no. And so I started thinking about like, what do I want to be for the rest of my life? And the only thing that came to my mind is what my youth pastor and what my small group leader was. And so I knew I wanted to go in the ministry. And then from that moment on, I was just dead set with saying, I'm going to be a pastor one day and I'll figure it out. And then I ended up at a small Bible college that Billy Graham went to. And uh, I met Jeff, and the rest is history. It's mm. like we got married. Uh, Delmar, <laughs> who who are you? Yo, I am Delmar, and uh, I am from Sumter, South Carolina. Basically, we're about an hour under Columbia, the capital. And uh, yeah, man, I've been in student ministry for, uh, I think, like 15 years and some change. So Fr- Frank, when we both went to CSU at the same time. So yeah, I was doing it then, right? I had just, I was fresh, man. I was green. So yeah, I've been in a little over 15 years. And um, I've got – I'm married. I've got two kids. Um, one of my boys is two and a half. And no matter what they tell you, I'm learning there's a big difference between two and two and a half when how these kids act. And uh, my other one just turned one. And uh, why am – why am I a pastor? Um, man, I'm going to be honest. My, my, my papa, he told me when I was eight years old, he was like, you're going to be a preacher someday. And I'm like, I remember that really clear. And I was like, I don't know about that, Papa. And then uh, when I was 14, I went to summer camp. And that was when I kind of answered the call. And uh, when I I went to CSU, and the only thing I knew when I went to CSU was one day I need uh, to work in student ministry. And then one day I need to go to seminary. So I did uh, both those things. And um, was it? I'll, I'll be honest, I might be the one, I don't know, we might share similar stories. I actually never really saw myself stepping into any kind of campus pastor or senior pastor role. I was, cause I was always one of those don't treat youth ministry as a stepping stone guys. Don't even let that junk get in your head, you know? Um, but then my best, one of my best friends, um, he stepped out of the campus pastor role at the church I'm at now. And God just like drew me to that ministry and drew me to those people. And, uh, man, I'll be honest. I started campus pastoring here in, uh, January, February, and then March, the world shut down. So literally, um, we are, I am figuring it out like right alongside, I'm apprenticing under some of y'all in all of this, not going to lie. So how about you, Jeff? Uh, I'm Jeff. My church is Lansdowne Alliance Church. We're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. 
Uh, we have this thing called the fourfold gospel that sounds cultish, but it's really not. Um, and I'll tell you about it later. We were founded by a guy named A.B. Simpson. And no, I'm not related because that's always the next question. I uh, am in, did I say Baltimore? And I have a five-year-old daughter uh, named Journey. My wife and I are foster and adoptive parents. So Journey was adopted from foster care. And we are uh, Thursday night this week. So a couple nights from now, we are going to take our last class to get licensed here in Baltimore. And then we have a home study and a boatload of paperwork. And we'll be back, back in the game. Um, I have been in ministry since I was about 15. I'm 35 now, so it's been a while. And I pretty much, uh, so my first experience of any kind of ministry was um, similar to you, Delmer. I, I had an older guy tell me I was going to be a preacher one day. Uh, he wasn't related to me, but he was like an old pastor that my family knew. And then um, my youth pastor asked me to teach in middle school boys like class. And then that went well. And then I wanted to pick up girls. So I picked up a guitar and started playing worship and then uh, realized that it seemed to go well. And then I got a mailer from Johnson Bible College because I was on staff at a Christian camp from when I was in middle school and high school. So I got all the mail and it said worship ministry. And I can still remember like the blue text on the orange background. And that was like the moment. And then uh, I went to the same Bible college as Frank because it was close to home and my girlfriend went there. <laughs> and, and the January after I graduated high school, they started offering a worship ministry degree. So I got that. And then a few years later, moved to Orlando, did ministry there for five years, and then um, was actually out of ministry for about six months between two roles. And then I came here in... Uh, August of 2017, so just about the past three years of ministry here. And I am the solo pastor. Andrew, who are you? I am Andrew. I just hit the three-year mark uh, a couple weeks ago at Safety Harbor Community Church in Safety Harbor, Florida, which is my hometown, which is kind of dope, because when the church started to hit me up, they had no idea that I grew up just a few minutes from here and played Little League a couple blocks from where the church is. And so it's, it's really neat to be in the town that I grew up pastoring, but I, um, my church is in the evangelical covenant church. So is Tim's and it's kind of unique because for most of my life, I felt like I was the most progressive voice at a very, very conservative table. Um, I went to a very conservative Bible college that no longer exists. Um, I tell, I tell people that, uh, when I went to seminary, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and when I went to seminary there, it was a decisive move to the left as far as my family and Bible college friends were concerned. And if if, if that statement can be made unironic or unsarcastically, that says something. So my whole life, I felt like I was the very progressive voice at this table that I never realized how conservative it was. And now I'm in a denomination that I wouldn't say is liberal, but it's progressive in a lot of ways. And now I feel like I'm the most conservative voice. Tim just made a face because he's also in the same denomination. Uh, and so I feel like now I'm weirdly in the exact opposite position that I've been in most of my life where I am the more conservative voice at a more progressive table. But I was in youth ministry for about 15 years full time. And towards the end of that, 
um, my church asked me to step into the associate pastor role because it was necessary. The senior pastor had some health issues and I was the one left that didn't say no when they asked other people. And so I moved into a kind of hybrid youth and associate role. And as that was coming to an end, my wife and I knew that it was it was time to move on because that pastor was retiring and the church policy was so that the associate pastor could not become the senior pastor. So for the health of the church and our family, we said we better call it quits now before they throw us out. And we began to pray and look and God opened the doors at this wonderful little church in the middle of downtown in my hometown that I love so, so much. So it's been a really neat past few years learning how to be a senior pastor at a little church, but it's good. Thanks. Tim, close us out. You got it. My name is Timothy Miller. I am at Lakeview Church in Tarpon Springs, Florida, just a few miles north of Andrew. We're both in the greater Tampa Bay area. Uh, I've been at Lakeview since 2010. It was actually my first full-time ministry position. I interned a little bit before that, but my first full-time ministry position was uh, the director of student ministries at Lakeview Community Church at that time. And 2015, I assumed the role of the next-gen pastor. And then uh, about a year ago, uh, some crazy stuff happened. And we'll we'll get into all of that at a later date. Uh, my my lead pastor, who who I'd been mentoring under for you know the better part of a decade, uh, stepped down, and eventually I was voted in as the next lead pastor of Lakeview Church, which we changed our name last year. Uh, so I am now lead pastor of Lakeview Church. A very rare story, I know, to start off as director of student ministries and then kind of progress in the same church and to eventually become lead pastor. So we can get into all that later. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we've been together for now um, over, well, over half of my life, which is awesome. Uh, we have five incredible kids ranging from age 11 down to three. Uh, so it's always a party, which is why the hashtag for all of my personal posts are Miller Party because my house is always a party. I love all things Disney and I love all things Jaguars. Those are probably the two things you need to know about me first. I, uh, I'm i a pastor because Jesus told me I had to be. When I was 16 years old, I went on a mission trip and, you know, you just some people have those 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 moments where they know they were called into ministry and some people it's more you know it takes time and it was they, they were running away but for me it was just blatantly obvious i grew up a pastor's kid uh, i grew up in the church literally in every way and when i was 16 this is what the lord laid on my heart and there was a you know about a year period in my adult life where i tried to run from it and it, it didn't work and the lord called me back and there's just no other place i'd rather be so that's and me. Here in your arms. Here in your arms. All right. Hey. Just waiting for that. <laughs> thank you guys so much uh, for sharing that. I am so excited. Unfortunately, I think we've peaked as a podcast. So there's like all episodes after this are gonna just wow. straight up suck. But you should subscribe this is though. So good. But you should still subscribe. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe wherever you are listening to this. 
give us a review. Five stars would be great. We would love for you to follow us on social media and join our Facebook group where the conversation continues. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And we are practically pastoring. See you next time.